0: Hi, I'm Ryan Miner. I'm the host of a Minor Detail podcast where it's all about Maryland. We have a no-holds-barred conversation featuring Maryland newsmakers and newsbreakers, journalists, reporters, politicos, politicians, policy wonks, prognosticators, political activists, organizers, community leaders, and so many more. Whew, man, that's a lot of peas. Here on A Minor Detail Podcast, we get to the bottom of every story. We talk about news and politics in an open and honest format. And we find the minor details because every detail matters. You can follow us on the web at aminordetailpodcast.com and aminordetail.com for the latest Maryland news and politics. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everybody, to a Minor Detail podcast. It is Sunday evening, August the 18th. We are in the middle of summer, and this past week – well, first I should introduce myself, although I need no introduction. My name is Ryan Minor. I'm the editor and chief senior reporter, chief prop, uh, prognosticator, and uh, perhaps the disruptor of the Annapolis media machine – And here I am back on a Minor Detail podcast after a few months of a – somewhat of a sabbatical. Look, I needed to recoup. There was a lot going on during session. And as always, I have my de facto co-host with me this evening. His name is Len Foxwell. Everybody knows Len in the state of Maryland. And I always ask Len to come on because Len provides some – truly some of the best insight and commentary – and we always analyze these big events that happen in Maryland politics, and there was a lot this year. And there was a big one, Len, this past week down in Ocean City, Maryland, great place to spend in, in the middle of August. But if you were attending the annual MAKO conference, you may not have had the opportunity to hit the beaches. But instead, you may have hit the party circuit, and you may have hit the Ocean City Convention Hall. Len Foxwell, thanks for coming on tonight, man. We're going to have fun.
1: Ryan, it's good to be back, pal. I'm glad that both of us have had some time to rest and recuperate, recharge the batteries after all of the, well, let's just call it, you know, detailed <laughs> policy discussions and uh, fiscal analyses that were taking place down at the beach over the past few days at the annual MAKO conference. Uh, it's taxing work. Someone had to do it. And glad we've had time to take a break and um, get back into it after a uh, after a long week. If
0: you're just tuning in now, I have with me Lynn Foxwell, and we are going to be talking about the annual MAKO Conference. And for anyone who is not understanding exactly what this MAKO Conference is, it's the Maryland Association of Counties. It's basically an organization in Maryland that is an activist group, an organization that... That tends to the needs of each individual county. There's 23 counties in Maryland, and then Baltimore City. Of course, Lynn Foxwell grew up in good old Dorchester County. He now lives in Talbot. I grew up in Washington County, and I live in Montgomery County. And all of our counties are represented by Mako. They hold an annual conference every year down in Ocean City, at the the famed Convention Center. If you haven't had a chance to check out this convention center, it's a hell of a place, really. I mean, there's so there's a it's a big, big place, huge opportunity to to meet people at this conference Lynn, I only spent really a few, not that much time inside the conference itself. And I don't want to distract away from the podcast that our friends over at Mako do. They, they're they're going to talk about what really happened in the breakout sessions. But Mako is the opportunity for. Local officials, statewide officials, anybody interested in local government to get together, to network, to attend these extremely informative sessions, breakout sessions on public safety, on budgetary issues. They talked about even so far as active shooting, school issues, school funding, and we'll get to that later. I think that would be the big takeaway from this conference but lynn here's a conference every year that's dedicated to educating local officials and the media and anyone really who wants to attend who's involved in some form of government and it's just one of those truly remarkable remarkable educational seminars where you leave and you feel like you have learned so much more by the networking and by the discussions you have with the the vendors who show up and you can take back Whatever you've learned as an elected official to your home community and apply that knowledge to ensuring that perhaps you address your budgetary issues a little bit different. Maybe you look at um, a different way to – instead of raising taxes, maybe you look at new innovative funding solutions or perhaps a downtown partnership or some sort of economic development that's driving the discussion in your community – or you're looking at schools and education, how to hire teachers, and you're looking at how to hire the best personnel. It's just a conference that is right. so informative. And, Lynn, you've been to many of these. You've been to these breakout sessions, and you understand it better than anyone. And I think that we can speak to how important this is for local officials to attend. And sure. then the takeaway is, is just a monumental positive for anyone – who decides to show up and pay their uh, pay their fee and and, and sit through these uh, really interesting and informative discussions.
1: Well, Ryan, first of all, thank you for having me back. Uh, it's always sure. a pleasure. And this was my 21st MAKO. My first one was in 1995. <laughs> uh, oh, God. I was 10 years old. This... <laughs> Don't remind me. I, I, <laughs> I feel old after this year's MAKO anyway, and now you've just made me feel 10 years older. So Sorry, I feel like Danny. I should be uh, taking my ARP card down to the Denny's to uh, to have a grand slam breakfast at nine o'clock. But <laughs> this is my twenty-first Mako. Uh, first one was the year Paris Clendenning was first elected to office. And funny story, I was working. The I just want to tell a story uh, just to show how my own life has evolved, in addition to how Mako has evolved as an institution. My first year, I knew nothing about Mako. I was New to the administration, and about two days before I was to go down, I was informed, "Hey Foxwell, you're going to Mako." I don't even think I knew at the time, Ryan, right, what Mako was. I knew it was in Ocean City. I knew it was. I knew it started on Wednesday. I knew it ended on Friday, at least as far as my job was concerned. And I knew that my job consisted of, of working the booth of the office of the Secretary of State and handing out flyers and brochures and. The little stress balls and there are all the other tchotchkes that we that we give out these things. And uh, I, 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 I dutifully put on my best Boscov suit as a newly minted state employee who <laughs> was making $27,000 at the time and I drove down to the uh, Fish Powell Convention Center and uh, my, my bosses at the time John Willis, our Secretary of State, who's still very involved and A gentleman named Stan Arthur, who's now retired. He was our Deputy Secretary of State. They both come in after a round of golf and and said, you're overdressed. You look like you're going to a funeral. Why don't you go back to the hotel and put on something new, put on something more casual so you don't stand out like a sore thumb? To which I said, wait a minute, you're telling me I could have spent the night down here? I was driving back and forth between Naples." in Ocean City every day. That's how green and wet behind the ears I was. So in 1996, my second Mako, I was a little more prepared. And then from there on, uh, the rest of, I guess as they say is history. But, you know, about Mako, it, I really think it's a misnomer to refer to the Mako conference in the singular, because in my mind, having been through this for so many years, there were three, at least three different elements of MAKO and they're very complementary elements of the same institution. You have the breakout sessions, the speeches, you have the, the exchange of policy ideas and initiatives that you that you made reference to and that I somewhat sarcastically made reference to in my opening statement. You also have the social element on the floor where you're, you're in this cavernous uh, ocean city convention center, the main hall where you have, aisles and aisles of, of vendors and county displays and uh, people giving out brochures and toys and spin the wheel and earn a free ticket to the crab feast. And mainly, mostly what that is, it, it's socializing, it's networking, it's rekindling of old acquaintances, um, exchanging ideas, business cards. And that's, just, that's, a, that's a natural part of the process. There's so much business happens in that part of the convention center in those informal interactions. But then, and I think this gets a lot of play in the press and deservedly so, there is the third and final element of MAKO which is what happens after six o'clock and goes well into the night and that is the social scene. And, you know, when I started this business Ryan, uh, we probably had four or five reception tops. You know, Hmm. Bruce Berriano had one at the Old Ocean Club and the governor had a reception and the, he had an, you know, he had an ice cream social and the Maryland fire chiefs had something. And there just weren't that many events. And now you look at the protocol calendar and it seems like every big lobbying firm has an, has an event. There are fundraisers up and down the sheet from my boss, Peter Francho to Jim Mathias has something for Adrian Jones and, I mean, um, the list goes on, and it starts early in the evening. It goes through the night, and I'm not going to lie. My daughter, having read some of the social media commentary about Mako, she astutely remarked, and she's 15 years old. She astutely remarked, this sounds like senior week for old people. <laughs> and well, I say you no, know, I never I said Colin never really thought of it like that, but yeah, um, you make a good point. It's senior week for old people, and the thing about us old people is we don't recover as quick as we used to, so that's that the we're truth both, we're we're both up and kicking here on a Sunday night after mako
0: well you you said something that rings true and we don't recover as well, and that's why I learned throughout this whole conference. If people noticed at the receptions, and I, I attended just about every one of them, that I wasn't drinking anything alcoholic. Now it may have looked like that because I had a, a cup in my hand at <laughs> uh, just about every moment of those receptions, but I was, I was drinking a, I was drinking the uh, the, the cocktail of soda water and a lime. So I was drinking <laughs> club soda and lime. And the reason for that is, is that, you know, look, I was I was staying in Salisbury. I stayed in an Airbnb because I didn't want to pay for an outrageous, outrageously priced hotel down in Ocean City. Those are expensive. And look, little minor detail here. Uh, we don't make a whole lot of money and we have to conserve. So and I was driving home at late and we all know that Ocean City is notorious for. Being very stringent as they should be on anybody who drives under the influence. So look, <laughs> That's a couple cruel. years ago, a couple years ago, our you know somebody, the old Baltimore County Delegate Rick M. he got he got stopped for and cited for uh, driving under the influence violation. Now uh, Delegate M. Polaria still, I think to this day, doesn't believe he did anything wrong, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if you see. <laughs> You see the officer um, in some sort of civil liability case, or he'll sue them for defamation like he's doing to the entire Baltimore County Republican Central Committee. But nonetheless, um, Lynn, I, I didn't have a whole lot – I didn't have anything to drink, rather. So I got to sit back and watch what really unfolded, and Lynn, I knew there's going to be plenty of coverage about what happens in the – like you said, the cavernous uh, convention hall. So I said, all right, I'm gonna use my I'm gonna use minordetail.com to report on what I think most people come to MAKO for, in addition to the the learning sessions, and that's the fun, the parties, the get-togethers, the places of where to be seen and heard and and discussed and talked about. And Lynn, I gotta tell you, I didn't really think that I was gonna be able to make much of an indent in MAKO, being that this was my first time there, first time covering it, but I can't believe how much minor detail was read and the number of website signups. And I don't know what I did this week, but a lot of people apparently read what I was covering.
1: Well, Ryan, <laughs> I was—I I was, I was going to say you were one of the story. I gotta say this, and, and I don't mean to be obsequious. <laughs> uh, I certainly—I certainly don't, certainly don't want to attract the ire of a of a certain state house observer who already <laughs> has complained about our friendly relationship, but you were one of the stories coming out of Mako everywhere, every, you know, everywhere there were more than three Maryland political insiders. There you were. I don't know how you managed to be two or three places at once, because, you know, these, every time slot, as you know, Ryan, every, every time slot at Mako was that three to four deep with receptions. You know, yeah. you would have, at one time you'd have J.B. Jennings, big event at the rope walk. You'd have the Baltimore County traditional shindig up at the and jerry evans is at dry 85 and uh, my friend david kozak and stephanie Benetti had their premier party at uh at river wine i mean that's just an example of all those parties were happening at the same time so it's literally impossible for somebody to be everywhere at once but everywhere i turned every time i turned around, around there you were and yeah, I can to the to the readers and listeners of a minor detail. I can confirm what Ryan said. Somehow, some way, the man was the man was stone cold sober the whole time. <laughs> well, um, I appreciate which, that. Which means, there should probably be some kind of a some kind of a T-shirt like they used to give at King's Dominion for having survived the Rebel Yell. Yeah, you know, Ryan <laughs> should have one say, you know I I survived Mako. You know, completely dry. Uh, but Ryan, you did a heck of a job. That was your show down there, and no. once again, you're proven to be one of the most effective, most informative, and one of the most buzzworthy, albeit not buzzed, uh, journalists <laughs> dirt under the fingernails newsmen in the business today. And we're all better informed because of the work you're putting in.
0: Well, I I appreciate that, Lynn. You know, I'm I'm always humbled by that, and I'm. I I you know I try to I'm always you know kind of very humble about what I've created knowing that there's some big league players out there but you know maybe Jonathan Noble could come down to Ocean City and see how we worked it out and how I was able to cover it since yesterday he called me some no name that nobody's ever heard of and that's fine cuz when the shit hits the fan nobody'll nobody'll come after me
1: uh I'd like to, you know, my, my guess is that my guess is that right now, Jonathan wouldn't have enough uh, money as gas tank to make it past <laughs> Pittsville, but that's okay. Maybe, maybe my friend Jared Shabline could pick him up in Pittsville and bring him the rest of the way. And
0: bring him the rest of the way. Len, let's start out with Wednesday evening. That's when things kick off. I got to ocean city. I left in the afternoon. I was able to make it in pretty good time. Fifty. Anytime you get to the Bay Bridge, just right around coming out of Anne Arundel County, it's always going to be backed up, as anybody can attest to. But once you're down on 50 into Queen Anne's County and past the outlets, it's pretty much smooth sailing, unless there's sure. any traffic over the Kent uh, over Kent Narrows. But, you know, I I hit up my old friend Don Moeller on Facebook and I said, Hey Don, if you're if you're up for lunch, I'll I'll be in that on that uh, on that trail, and uh, if you wanted to stop. Unfortunately, I don't think Don much checks his Facebook Messenger, but he sent me a message and said, "Damn, I'm sorry I missed it." But I think Don spent some time down on the shore, and he has a home there. So I drove past Cat Narrows, but then of course it starts pouring down rain as soon as I get um, across the uh, what the Assawoman Bay. I always I always think it's funny calling it Assawoman, and so I drove in. Because we're
1: all in eighth uh, grade again once we get to Ocean City. Yeah,
0: and I so I I we drove over into the first stop for me was. Compass government relations reception, and this was over Uh at uh, the at Red Red Wine, and the 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 Compass. I got to tell you, they had some they had some all of the county, mostly all the big county executives. They had, and I want to give a shout out to Rob and Hannah Garagiola. Um, You know, they're they're the business couple of. Annapolis politics, of course. Rob Garagiola is a former state senator and former majority leader in the in the Senate, and they, uh, and Hannah, who's the president of the of, of Compass Government Relations, they it's a relatively new firm, and so they had Barry Glassman there, who's president of Mako and County Executive of Hartford County. Calvin Ball was there, exe- uh, County Executive Frederick County Executive Jan Gardner, Stuart Pittman from Anne Arundel County, Johnny Osheski. And even making an appearance was, was Jack Young and Glassman talked a little bit about what had happened. um, Or he had talked a little bit about Mako and the importance of it, but he had to go quickly across the street because he had his own reception. And then Calvin Ball, he, Calvin Ball talked at this, at Compass's reception. They talked about some of the amazing things that are happening in Howard County, which I can attest to. There, There certainly is some good things happening over there. And, Frederick County executive, Jan Gardner. She talked about uh, Frederick becoming a high tech hub. And Lynn, you just spent some time there with, uh, last month or earlier this month with your son. And you got to see Frederick up close and personal. And it's a great place to take your kids, uh, great ball stadium. The downtown life is happening. And I credit a lot that to, to mayor Ron Young, former mayor, Ron Young, who's now a state Senator.
1: Um, no, I completely agree. I and mean, when, you know, when, when Jan talk, and she's absolutely right. When, when the county executive, Jan Gardner, talks about Frederick County becoming kind of a linchpin of the 21st century high tech economy, complementary to all that, uh, what, what I call the microscope and microchip industries that are coming to Frederick, that has that by definition has to be complemented by a vibrant, you know, social dining and entertainment scene, good schools, good parks and recreation all those things that collectively define a good quality of life because these innovators and entrepreneurs that are at the hub of the, of the information economy, they're human beings too. They have, these are young people. They tend to be millennials or Gen Xers. They have families of their own. They're not just looking for a place to invest. They're also looking for the kind of place where they want to live. And, man, let me tell you, Frederick County and the city of Frederick, They have benefited from some very good leadership over the course of time. Maybe some there have been a couple of exceptions to that statement, but you mentioned Ron Young has been right there every step of the way. I think Jan Gardner is making all the right moves, and that is just one of the great success stories in the state of Maryland right now. Downtown Frederick on a Friday night or a Saturday afternoon is a place where anyone would want to be. It's great shopping, amazing restaurants with real diversity. Uh, Of course, Frederick along with Baltimore City is one of the craft beer meccas, not only of the state of Maryland, but of the entire mid Atlantic region. So
0: the second so largest the second largest craft beer shop, craft brewery in the state of Maryland, uh at Flying Dog. Of course, Guinness now is the first, but that's the largest brewery in, in the city of Baltimore. It can't fault them. It's great opportunity for Maryland. It's a great economic driver, but yeah. Flying Dog Beer is one of my favorite craft beers, and of course, a few weeks ago, your boss Comptroller Franco was over at Rockwell Brewing and for a little crab feed. But he he had the opportunity to tour downtown Frederick. So yeah, it was good to see. Well, you, you know, we, Can...
1: not 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 that rough, but you know, what, what Peter did that day, he 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 toured uh, he toured Rock he did the thing at Rockwell Brewing. They had a great crab season. He was the guest of honor. Then, if you may recall, he went to the Frederick County Wine Festival, and then he did a downtown show with Jan Gardner and a few of the other elected and civic leaders in Frederick, and he stopped at one of his favorite places, which is the, which is the um, the, uh, the the bottle shop right on uh, right on uh, on Patrick Street, where you can get the, the north it's called the North Market pop shop and I guess it's on Market Street. But you can get every type of retro, old fashioned, uh specially soda pop, you know, ever made at this place. It's it's just a place where adults become kids again and kids just light up. And so he went to, from Rockwell to the winery to the pop shop and we titled the press release for when we advised that we were gonna be out there, we called it beer, wine and soda. Okay. And uh It was just a really, really special day in a great town, and I can't wait to go back because we always come away happier and with some really good ideas for how to take what's happening in Frederick, take it around the rest of the state.
0: Absolutely. Lynn, also making an appearance was, uh, it was Baltimore City's 51st mayor, Jack Young. He talked a little bit about the city's crime problems, about reducing violence, and then Maryland Senate President Thomas V. Mike Miller Jr., he made appearance. He didn't say too much, but I wanted to say several of the attendees, they did notice that Miller, who, of course, we all know, very sadly, was diagnosed with stage four prostate cancer earlier this year. He was looking healthy. His hair was growing back. He was walking um, a little bit better than he was earlier, especially during session, and he looked a little more robust. He looked – he looked – you know, he looked, he looked okay, And and – you know, I'm, I'm hoping that um, – I'm hoping that the treatment is certainly helping him to recover, and I know that, that I, a lot of people are rooting for the Senate president. And more. A lot of people are rooting Couldn't for bring him, bring and more. I – and so now at the same time, it's simultaneously, Alexander and Cleaver, they were having a reception next door over at Dry 85, and the same county executives appeared there, and I popped over there and – the, they, they talked about similar themes, not too much news coming out of there, but there is some news that I wanted to report, Lynn. and I already did report earlier this – uh, well, late last week that uh, Davion Percy, who is their senior government affairs person over at AMC, he was recently promoted to vice president of the Annapolis Lobbying Shop. So that's a big deal, um, of course. A lot of people in around Annapolis, they know Davion, and uh, he's uh, he's going places. He's,
1: he's moving up. Well, yeah, uh, some- I, I want to say it because it's important to note because you mentioned Compass, and I think those of us who actually listen to the show and follow your follow your website know that uh, Rob and Hannah used to be um, two of the cornerstones, if you will, of the old Alexander Cleaver firm, and they left yeah there's a little bit of there's a little bit of acrimony there as there often is when you're talking about a professional divorce where there's some real money involved and I yeah. think a lot of people were one speculating about the future of a and c but they see a and c which has long been one of the the um the pillars of the Annapolis lobbying community and just a good classy firm that I believe has always done their business the right way. They have they have rebounded with people like Davion Percy. There's another young woman there I have to mention because she went to Salisbury University and she's from Cumberland. Uh, a young woman named Riley Riley. who is just one of these smartest, most talented young people. And it just reminds me that you know Annapolis tends to be t- uh, the Annapolis political scene tends to be defined by its its veterans. And I think that's often the case because they're the ones who have been around and they kind of have brand identities. But there are so many young, smart people on the rise working in that town as legislative aides and policymakers and working as lobbyists. And Riley's just one of them. She's one of the best. And I think with her and people like Davion, that firm's going to be doing okay for some time to come. It's good to yeah, see. Yeah, Riley,
0: Riley certainly has a bright career ahead of her. She she is well-networked inside of the uh, Annapolis political circles, but in the in the respects in the context of making the solid connections and look, she's a Western Maryland girl. She grew up in Cumberland, still has family there, so we have you know there's certainly some commonalities between the both of us. We understand what it takes to, uh, I guess, thrive over in Western Maryland, and we understand what the the challenges are up there. So I, I give I give A and C a lot of credit for bringing her on board, and she's a former Will Smith staffer. And of course, we'll, sure. we'll and, write. and we
1: and we, all know, and we all know the relationship historically between the agency law firm in Cumberland because yep. you know uh, one of the one of the founding partners of that firm, well, not founding partners, but came in as a, a managing partner was Cass Taylor, the former Speaker Cass of the Taylor. House, for a number of years uh, from Cumberland, and so many of the signature projects in Cumberland, from the airport to Rocky Gap to the Canal Place development, Barristers imprimatur. So uh, I think it's only fitting that a girl who's from Cumberland went to Fort Hill High School, ended up with the Alexander Cleaver Firm. Absolutely. So now Barry Glassman,
0: he had a reception over at, at a place called Distilling Secrets. It was Secrets Distilling Company on 49th Street. Um, he had the governor there, the, uh, the first lady, the um, uh Dirk Hare, the Maryland Republican Party Chairman. He it was a big well to do reception. A lot of Republicans there. Uh former Secretary of State Mary Kane and her husband John Kane. Uh there. John, of course, is um part of the Aton Strategies, which is more of a, a Republican group. They have good food. They had some jerk chicken there. Good good spot. Very well re- attended and packed. Of course, you know, anywhere the governor is, there's a you know, pretty much of an all-star reception. I drove over outside of Wash, or of uh, West, uh, into West Ocean City at the Bridge Deck and Sunset Grill. So Bellamy, Bellamy again had the um, their their reception. It was sponsored by Kaiser Permanente. They had a great spread of food. There was a lot of schmoozing, a little bit of boozing. It was perfect. They had some live music, an excellent play. I mean, it was really a well done, classy reception they had. PG County Executive Angela Brooks. she was there. We saw Congressman Anthony Brown, who is there's Some chatter recently that he's considering making a second run for governor of Maryland. And look, I, I give Lorenzo and and Gil and and um, and Sarah a lot of credit. They they managed to get a lot of people there, and it was at the perfect time. The, the weather was excellent, and people were really enjoying the live music. I, I thought that that was one of the best receptions of the night, and uh, they certainly were wooing people. And, of course, Kaiser Permanente, um, that's almost a omnipresent universal name in, in Maryland. Right.
1: Um, oh, you, know, you know, my business, I get to, I get to work with all the lobbying shops in one way or another, be it uh, on procurement cases because Peter has jurisdiction on the Board of Public Works or through his role as the chief alcohol and tobacco regulator. I mean, there are just a lot of different lanes of contact with these firms. And I, 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 I value the business relationship with just about all of them because I have found each and every one of these firms to be ethical and honest in the way they go about the work. But they are also just some that you just truly enjoy on a personal level. And I have to say, I have always just truly enjoyed working with Lorenzo and Gill. I knew Gill dating back to his days in the House of Delegates from District 16 in the Bethesda area. I knew Lorenzo when he was coming up through the ranks with Alexander Cleaver. They're just very good, approachable people that you can have a beer with. And um, I'm glad to see them succeeding. I will say they also have the, the event on the first day of the legislative session that, in my humble opinion, has the best food in town. The ahi tuna they have on, on the yes. opening day reception is off the chain, and yeah. I make it a point to go over there just for the ahi tuna and for some of the other snacks, including a full assortment of cold Maryland craft beer. So yep. hats off to you, Lorenzo Gill, if you're listening. Um I'll see you in January and hopefully before then.
0: You know, I want to make a brief remark and, and I might be editorializing a little bit and you know, I'm sure Brian Sears' head is about to explode um since you know you can't cross that third you know the, the barrier of, of editorializing and reporting. But I just want to say that <laughs> I, I've gotten to know Gil Gen pretty well and I I don't know if if this is the right context, but I, I'm just gonna go ahead and say that I uh, I think that everybody has the opportunity to, to tell their own side of things that have happened, and nobody should ever be defined by an incident in an otherwise immaculate and excellent career. And even so, there's many of us who still saw what we saw and don't think that Gil – and I'm talking about an incident that occurred last year – during an Apple session, a lot of us don't think that Gil altogether got a fair shake out of that whole situation, and I would just say, look at the look at the tape, just look at the tape, and that's and that's that's all I'll say about that, Len.
1: Well so, said. So what, what, so what, so which one was after the Bellamy Jen? Is this when we get to the uh, Sushant party?
0: Well, here it goes. This is the one that I think everybody <laughs> is. I. I
1: <laughs> yeah, come on, let's get it. to the main event here, bro. Let's, well, let's do it.
0: The event prece- Len, the event preceding the the cap strategies party was was fun because I got to drive uh, former Anne Arundel County Councilman Jerry Walker over to the event with a couple of other people, and including Jillian, who is uh, the one of the uh, Annapolis's most well known Amazon lobbyists. Uh, or she's of counsel there. So we we all drove. My car was packed. We, we got a front row parking spot right in front of Red Red, Red Red Wine. It was serendipitous almost that somebody had just left and my car was parked directly in front of it. So I didn't have to go search for parking uh, right off of the coastal highway. So I wrote that we should leave it to the capital strategies guys to put on a party that everybody's going to be talking about the next day. Well, Len, that was the first time of the evening that I saw you there. Uh, it, the comptroller's staff was there. There were many elected official staff members there, and as we can all attest to, come ten thirty on Wednesday, that bar was solidly packed. People were shoulder to shoulder. People could not move inside and even outside on the patio. It got so big and so – I don't want to call it out of control, but rather there were so many people there for, for this Cap Strategies event that you could not move about. It was almost uncomfortable, but you waited 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes to get the bartender's attention, and there was some sweaty people in there too. Now, Lynn, <clears throat> you and I, the I main, the main event – You had a great time. I had a great time. I had a lot of conversations there. Of course, Senator Steve Hershey was there. Um, A lot of elected officials made a point of coming to that party. I even saw Josh Kurtz of Maryland Matters there. He was having a glass of wine. I even saw Danielle Gaines of Maryland Matters. So even the press came and showed up. So I wanted to say that what people talked about, and I wrote about it, is that Len... You saw Melanie Miller, who is Senate President Miller's daughter. Melanie was standing. If you're looking at facing the bar, she was on the right side of the room, and she was engaged in a conversation. And I was walking right behind you, Lynn, because we were just sort of walking around and chatting with different people. But at that time and at that moment, I was with you. And you had walked up to Melanie Miller, and you had said hello to her. And in an effort to exchange pleasantries – Without any idea about as to what was going to happen subsequently, Len, what happened?
1: Well, just to put it in context, I mean, I've known I've known Melanie for 20 years. I mean, she's been she's always been involved in politics. She's been she's been a mainstay on all of her dad's campaigns, and uh, I worked with her uh, during Harris Glenn re reelection campaign in 1998, and she was also very involved, as I recall, in the 2002 race from with Kathleen Kennedy Townsend, and so we've we've known each other for a long time. And I'll, listen, I don't think it's any secret that her dad and my boss, and I think everyone who's listening tonight knows that Peter Franco is my boss. I proudly serve as his chief of staff. They don't get along very well. It's they just have there's it's not just one incident or another incident. It's just been. An accumulation of things over the years, and probably some good old-fashioned personality conflicts happens in politics as in life. And they just don't like each other, and it's okay. Uh, and sometimes the battle's gotten intense. And and I think Melanie, listen, it's it's her dad. Um, we like to think that these politicians and, and political operatives are somehow capable of putting all the human emotion out of the transaction, but you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're human beings too, and if and if someone sees their, their one of their parents being attacked or perceives them as being attacked, I, I suspect a lot of folks would have a a an emotional response, and I think that's what she was carrying in. And um, you, well, you saw it. I mean, we we talked. It, and yeah, it didn't I did. Yeah, I mean, you were standing right there, and she she said some you know said some pretty strong things about my boss and. Um, I, I couldn't hear everything, honestly, just because it was, as you said, it was loud. The room was packed and there was a lot of jostling. And frankly, I was trying to get to the bar for another, for another beer. So I, I wasn't plan. I wasn't interested in sticking around and taking this too far. Um, I just, kind I of just thought it was. Yeah. I mean, listen, sometimes in in this town, I think, uh, I, I think some of us have been around so long. We can't see the battle for the blood in their eyes. Um, and that's what happens when you yeah, have people have been around and known each other for so long, and these things just become entrenched. Well, I give Melanie a complete pass on that. Um, I, what I found regrettable was what she said about you, honestly. Because, and hopefully, she once she's had some time to reflect and kind of cool down from the emotions of the moment, she'll rethink it. Because um, what she said to you was was a inappropriate and b totally dismissive of the invaluable role that you play in annapolis as a tough hard-nosed dirt under the fingernails newsman who was bringing the rest of us the news that we have come to depend on and um that i'm well, probably less inclined to let go
0: i i agree lynn i'm not offended it didn't hurt me it didn't bother me i Look, I I simply observed a unfortunate situation. And you would think that even at these events, we're we're all having a good time. And I know it's, look politics are front and center for many of us. And it's personal. It really is. But I just, what I saw was was unfortunate. But, you know, and she she turned over to me and started lashing out at some of my coverage. And I think it's fair to say that Peter Francho, um, I've... I am well known um, to your staff and to your team, um, but there's never been a time where I haven't covered him with nothing but fairness and honesty from my position. And if I would be, the, as you know, Lynn, I would be the first person to write a story if Peter did something that was stupid or goofy or outside of the character of his job as the, as the state's comptroller, I would be the first person to cut a story pretty quickly and ask you guys to respond or at least to comment and Melanie I mean what she said to me was that you know I mean she basically she she accused me of you know <laughs> blowing Peter Franco which I thought was you know okay it was at a party it was a little inappropriate but and it didn't bother me but she just kind of kept hounding at it that and and claiming that I was unfair to her father and look, I shot back at her, and I said, "Look, Melanie, point to a story that I've ever been unfair to Mike Miller. I have nothing but respect for for your dad and for what he has done for Maryland, but I have covered him. I have covered some of his remarks, and you know, and it's no secret that Jake Weissman, who I have respect for um, in most cases, that I haven't been his biggest fan because sometimes I think Jake." Um, is a little squirrely and doesn't get to the bottom of the truth. I, I think Jake is there to protect his boss, which I understand. You understand that as a chief, and that's that's the role. And, and I told Melanie how I thought about Jake and what I said, just so there's no confusion, because apparently Melanie, according to my sources, are telling people something different that I said. And I quote, and this is exactly what I said. I said, and you can tell Jake Weissman – who I'd like, by the way, and and I can appreciate it. And I said to Melanie that I think sometimes Jake's a snot-nosed little shit. And that's exactly what I said. And she's, I guess, telling people a different story that I said something else. Those were my words verbatim. And I said, you can tell them that. And then, look, the whole situation was unfortunate. I'm not mad at her. I'm not upset. We'll probably have an opportunity sometime in the future to have a conversation Uh, offline where nobody will hear about it and that will be the it of it. We'll shake hands and we'll go about our way. I'm not, I'm not going to dwell on this, but I just thought that the cap strategies party was probably not the opportune time to air your grievances or at least address them in a public way. There was alcohol involved. There was other people were involved. And if you have, if you have an issue with someone, take them outside or at least talk to them one-on-one and not in the company of others. But uh, Melanie is, is someone that has been around, as you said, Lynn, for a long time. Sometimes I think that she thinks that her, her, I think that there's an elevated uh, importance there. Uh, I think, that, there? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I think that sometimes she uses the fact that her father is the Senate president to, um, I, you know, maybe she, I think she uses it to her advantage. I've seen that. That's part of the insular machine politics and, they will always claim there's no such a thing as the machine, but we all know that it, it, it does exist. And for them to not acknowledge that they have the heavy hand on many of the legislators and they – when Mike Miller says jump and you know they say how high, it's, it's, it's what happens. It's, and look, I didn't come to Annapolis always to, to go along, to get along like some other members of the press. I'm not afraid of some of these people. I'm not afraid of burning a relationship with – people that I cover because it's just what you have to do and I'm always going to try to be classy but I'm going to be myself and I'm not going to go out and pretend that I'm I'm you know have a love festival with some of these people in Annapolis they're regular people to me Len and I'm not going to kiss Mike Miller's ass and I'm not going to kiss his daughter's ass and I think nobody should and so you know Melanie and I will probably make up sometime, and she's probably already long forgotten in hell. I'm sure she doesn't even remember my name.
1: <laughs> so that's what happens well, I for people. I, I, I think there are a couple of addendums here that that they're mentioning. First, I, I, what's interesting in this whole thing is that, in spite, and, and I think Melanie would admit this, and I think I think Jake Weissman would say the same thing. That it's ironic that she and I had had those words at the Capital Strategies Party because in spite of the level of acrimony that exists between the Senate President and the Comptroller, the Senate President and I actually have a very good personal relationship.
0: Absolutely. And
1: yeah. and I had the privilege of seeing the Senate President uh, the following night at Jerry Evans's event, ironically enough, right back at Dry 85, which is right next to Red Red Wine, as Ocean City denizens know. And we had a nice conversation for a few moments, and I was, like you, struck by how nice he looked and how on his game he was. And I was thrilled to see it. It just made my heart happy in spite of our political differences and my, my distaste for machine politics, putting all that aside. I love Mike Miller, the man, and I was thrilled to see how well he was doing. Um, also, you know, one of the neat things about Mako, and this may be something that's idiosyncratic about the whole exercise, is that it's a place where people who have difference, honest differences back in Annapolis could come down, put the swords down for a few days, and interact. It's almost like a, it's almost like a, it's almost like an installment in a in a drama series that breaks canon, if you will. <laughs> You kind of, you know, the, story, the the old storylines become suspended. One case in point, as you know, my boss, Peter Francho, had a, a fundraiser that on Thursday,
0: Thursday at fish tales.
1: Fish tales, and it was an amazing event, and people from both parties were there around the state. It was just an impressive event. One of the folks who showed up was none other than Derek Davis, and listeners of your podcast know that Derek and the comptroller have long had a a pretty heated relationship at times just because of their natural differences over the craft beer issue and the Reform on Tap legislative initiative that got pretty intense and pretty acrimonious in 2018. And nonetheless, they've known each other for a long time. Peter, uh, Peter extended the invitation for Derek to come. And to his credit, he'd stopped buying state for a while. And I know Peter was honored and glad to have him despite their differences because at the beach when you're down there over a shrimp platter and a, and a cold craft beer with the ocean breezes. You can just let it go for a little while, put the bricks down and be friends. That's of the cool thought, things about MAKO and as well as MML, frankly.
0: Absolutely. I thought that seeing Chairman Davis at Peter's event, knowing the back history of their relationship was a huge step forward in the right direction and of course Derek Davis went through a speakers match this year that was memorable and it's something that I think we'll continue to write about in Maryland politics that, we'll, that we discussed on Signy Die at ironically enough over at Cap Strategies and we talked about <laughs> what that would mean and then May 1st came and went and we, had a, we have a new speaker um, Peter Francho of course your boss he had an event at Fishtails at 1230, had a big crowd turnout. They had some excellent food. And as I stand stood in the back and observed, I also noticed that they had other well-known members of the press there. Josh Kurtz was there of Maryland Matters. Aaron Cox of the Washington Post showed up. And I noticed that Peter, of course, never failed to be on his game. He gave a barn burner of a quick speech and talked about Machine politics, which is a key theme, and look, Lynn. The I I sort of kicked it off when over at his reception at Jimmy's, but the talk of the town, of course, is that Peter's going to. It looks like Peter is positioning himself to run for governor of in twenty twenty two, and it certainly and it certainly makes the most sense by all of the moves. The evidence points to that he's he is he is he's all in, and maybe if he got in early. Um, depending on who might be the competition. There's no real de facto leader in the Democratic Party who is the obvious next choice, but I think that most people in state politics would assume that Peter is making all of those moves. He's holding events all over the state, and whether or not he decides to eventually run for governor, and as our good friend Adam Pagnuco wrote, um, he's he's going to have a big decision to make, and but it's always fun covering Peter Franchot. And I know that from a personal side, I've covered Peter now, not as long as some, but I've, I've noticed that he's the real deal. He means what he says. And this is not a shtick that he's pulling out that convinces people otherwise not to, yeah, this is not some sort of, his only agenda is to serve the people of Maryland and to make sure that businesses are moving forward. And I got to tell you, uh, if he does run for governor, um, I would imagine that he would get some pushback from some some of the members of the general assembly, you know, you'll have the Eric Lukies and the Creole Resnicks and that caucus, but um it certainly looks and appears from uh, all evidence that Peter's certainly uh making a play Lynn.
1: Well, you're astute. He is seriously thinking of running for governor. He has not made a final decision. He's uh based on what he's shared with me and what he's told others, he'll make that decision. Um, you know, final yeah. by you know, sometime in the next 12 months, and yeah, it's a big decision. It's it's not just it's just it's just not a question of electability or what what policy agenda you would like to move forward if you were elected to serve as governor, but it's also a change of life. It's a it's a it's a change in in the the rhythm of right. your life. Um, the loss of privacy. It's a, it's a loss of free time. It's a decision that affects their spouse you know he has a wonderful wife uh Ann mar uh, they have a beautiful home they have uh, he just has a he just um welcomed a new grandson into the world um, yeah. so it's a decision that not only affects him but there are other people involved as well but uh i was struck by three things he said and i think w- whether he intended to make this kind of the the you know the launch pad of his campaign or not, I think there are three points that he made that really struck me and others, which is that, you, that, that, we, that we can't make the investments that define a progressive society if we don't have the money to pay for them. So right there, he's drawing the line between um, social progressivism and fiscal responsibility. He went on to say that we can't have the trust to make major transformative changes in our state if we don't have the trust of the people that we can do the little things right, like pick up the trash and fill the potholes and answer the phones. And this is what struck me. He said, we don't, we will not, we will not have the will to make substantive change in the state of Maryland. If we don't get, if we don't challenge the machine politics that is holding us back. And so I was listening to that, and I just said, you know what, right there, that's what the people want, fiscal, fiscal responsibility, confidence in government, and political independence. Absolutely. I don't know what he's going to do. But if he does run, he sure as hell has a has a has uh, a good sense of purpose as to what he wants to do and what he's going to be about.
0: Yeah, this is not, to me, from my observations, this is not some half-baked idea that – He's cooking up because it seems like the logical next step. This is a guy who's clearly thought out a platform, who's clearly thought out his political path and understands his limitations. And there are some, of course, Lynn. And he understands his positives and his strengths and weaknesses. So um, we're all going to be following this story. And one of the real pleasures of Peter's fundraiser was seeing Mark Jason McLaren there of the SEIU. My goodness,
1: a, 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 yeah. a legend. Oh, Ryan, I got I gotta tell you, there just I I can't think of anything short of short of knowing that you were there, um, you know, covering the event, holding, you know, making, you know, comforting the afflicted, afflicting the comfortable as only you can do. <laughs> Nothing made my heart happier than looking up and seeing none other than Mark McLaurin, one of the one of the most feared, accomplished, decorated field organizers. In the history of Maryland politics, uh, the, the political guru behind SEIU uh, on hand, God knows Ryan, he's had his battles with Peter over the years. They haven't seen eye-to-eye on tax policy issues or some of the other uh, economic issues that have come down the pike because Mark tends to take a, more, a little bit more of a, a left-of-center tack than Peter has at times. But they do share a common distaste for machine politics. And both of them at certain times have, have, have been screwed over by the machine. And, and it just goes back to what we said, uh, Ryan, on this show many times. There are two Democratic parties, party that's out, party that's in. It's not about liberal versus moderate or moderate versus conservative. It's the outsiders and those handful of folks who are in the back room on the inside making decisions. Mark and Peter have both been on the outside of their whole careers. So That's right. um, they may disagree on a bunch of little things, but the damn if they don't agree on that one big thing, which is that we need change in the way business is done in this town. I don't know if Mar- I don't know if Mark's ultimately going to be with Pete's size run, but boy, it was good to see him, and he he lights up a room, doesn't he?
0: He certainly does. Fast forwarding to later in the evening, there is no bigger <laughs> event every year at. at- there you go. Well, I want to. I, I got to preface it. So, a, a couple of things. So, one was the Senate Minority Leader J.B. Jennings annual reception, and just to touch upon this briefly, he pretty much had every major political figure there, including the governor, the lieutenant governor, the attorney general. He had U.S. Representative C.A. Dutch Ruppersberger, and you know. <laughs> a little news i'm sorry a little news came out of it cuz state senator Johnny Ray Salling, who's a very good man from Baltimore County legends he yeah. uh, he had told a minor detail that evening that he approached uh congressman Ruppersberger, and 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 uh he had said that uh he's going to run for he's going to run for congress and then one state senator who will remain unnamed reached over to me and said oh that's That's kind of funny because Johnny Ray is not going to even be able to break 40 percent. And, you know, look, it's going to be a tough year for Republicans, Lynn. And, you know, look, Jennings's reception was very well done. He had a great food spread. He had an open bar. He had the top political figures. And I think that speaks directly to Jennings' ability as the Senate minority leader – and one of the top Republicans in the state. I think that – I think people across the aisle, his colleagues, they respect him. He had like 20-some state senators there, and it was nice to see how many people were 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 there and and talking, and it was such a bipartisan event. And I want to say I had some great conversations. I met for the first time and had a, a solid conversation with Lawanda Jenkins, who is now a uh, – Part of the uh, Bellamy Jen group, uh, one of the 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 Naples
1: state government.
0: She is one of the she, nicest she, people. Yeah. She
1: was the she was the um, secretary of minority affairs uh, when I first came into Governor Glenn Denning's administration, and she's a very modest, unassuming person who is very Absolutely. reluctant to blow her own horn, but. Um, The Glendening administration was all about making enormous strides and not only, you know, laws to tighten the state's MBE goals, but also the enforcement of MBE laws. And so much of that success was attributable to Lawanda Jenkins' work behind the scenes. She later came back and, and reprised that same role for Governor O'Malley. And I'm glad you mentioned her because she really is one of Maryland's most decorated public servants, and she never gets the credit she deserves.
0: So good on you. And Rich Madalino could not have made a better choice than selecting her as his lieutenant governor pick in 2018.
1: Yeah, she should have picked him as his. She should have picked him as her lieutenant governor.
0: Um uh, she, well, she
1: should have been the top of the ticket.
0: Yeah, I think it would have gone a lot better had she been at the top of the ticket. But you know, Madalino's campaign um, was uh, yeah that that was a, yeah. a textbook discussion on whether or not. Uh, pro- uh, You know, public financing works for gubernatorial candidates. I think that's the takeaway. Uh, Rich, Rich ran a good cam. I'd say he ran a good campaign, especially inside of the the debates. He was always the most well prepared. He was very articulate. He ran down the progressive lane, and he was able to talk the talk. There's Rich Madalino is a smart guy. The problem that Rich had, I believe, was his personality held him up. I mean, he's just not the most likable person. Um, there's some personality quirks about him. There's some there's just ways about him that doesn't that I think people don't always see eye to eye with, and it was it's hard for people to get close to Rich because he makes them feel like he's the smartest person in the room. And you know, you always kind of remember the staffer that he was um, has you know, when they try to step up and outshine their boss. I always felt like Rich had something to prove in that respect, and I think he's just sort of relaxed a little bit and enjoyed the ride, but. Look, that's that's neither here nor there. So yeah, in the past. Uh, um, after after Jennings's extravaganza, and by the way, perfect setting um, over at um, oh shoot, where was he? Roadball. He was over. Roadball. Yeah, rope cool place. Um, Alexander and Cleaver they had a secrets party, and they that was that's a staple in Mako political parties, and of course. They had their branded matching polo and khaki shorts and that was a that was a good party. And then finally, then on Thursday evening, the MD Strategic Consulting, they held their party at the Forty Fifth Street Tap House. And it was full. It was a blowout event. There, the political elite was there. And as I wrote, there was some kind of some weird shit going on. And now look, I got some pushback from their their director of communications emailed me yesterday and said, I don't know if you were at kind of insinuated that i wasn't actually at the party and she had bounced around but lynn later in the night you were
1: absolutely at the party i saw you at the party
0: i was there for four hours i was talking to your sister who you know is uh, is, uh, absolutely delightful and hilarious by the way and i was sitting with your sister for a long time as well as uh montgomery county councilman andrew friedson uh, another Peter Franchot alumni and one of the biggest rising stars in Maryland politics today. Amen. And we were sitting together observing what was happening. There was some some make out sessions happening. There was a, a guy running around with an unbuttoned blue shirt that was, I believe, was heavily in ta- ta-
1: Who was the piss you were talking about, by the way?
0: Well, that was a point of contention, I think, with the uh, with the strateg- with the with the group there. There was a man that was wearing a, a suit and a, a top hat and I think all was missing to his ensemble was a cane. Um, but he looked very much, <laughs>
1: <Kramer>. <laughs> yeah, he,
0: he looked very much like a pimp. And I, I'm not sure, even if he was, that's great. I mean, look, it, it made it all the more memorable and worthwhile, but I will say that MB strategic consulting, they had some v- excellent food. Uh, they had, they gave away these sunglasses as little trinkets um, for people, and I have two pairs now in my car. It was a really well done party. There was a lot of people there. I saw State Senator Ron Young and his wife, Delegate Karen Lewis Young. I saw Carl Anderton. I saw Brian Feldman, and I had a chance Jake to Day, talk to there. Jake. Yeah, Mayor Jake Day, who just launched yeah, his Jake reelection there. campaign last Tuesday, and um, I saw Angela Also Brooks. So. I thought that it was a really well-done party. Now, it was just my observation, my subjective observation, but there was a little weirdness going on. And, but these are spo- the weird things are supposed to happen at MAKO parties. And look, Jason over at, uh, at MD Strategic Consulting, they should be very proud of the fact that they threw, again, one of the most talked about, discussed, and memorable parties of 2019 MAKO's event. So I give them a lot of credit. I had a lot of fun. And I I had the opportunity to get to know some people who I
1: didn't know prior to that. I totally agree. And listen, part of the weirdness may be attributable to the fact that by that point in the conference, there, there are plenty of folks who, let's just be candid with one another had been drinking pretty solidly for 20, anywhere from 24 to 30 straight hours. Uh, And yeah, and that's, yeah, you know the you know the biorhythms of mako i mean you can you know the events start in the i mean you you can start in the early afternoon because it's not just the events there are plenty of people who will just go off campus and right. meet each other for a quick drink at you know at you know at big peckers or or, or hoopers or sneaky pete's or wherever it is they're going to go i mean and so that and so by the time they roll in there's drinking during dinner and all the other receptions. So by the time you roll into 45th street tap house at 10 o'clock at night, people are pretty far along and they were sloshed. It it was a good time. I think that just, I think that, I think that just comes with the time of night. I think it comes with uh, with the point in the conference. And yeah, I think Jason Williams uh, from MD strategic threw a heck of a party. I had a lot of fun. Um, It was just, it was just a really, really good time. I, I saw my I saw my buddy Sushant Sid. uh he of your brother in well, out. my brother-in-law was there um, let me throw out two other names um Tom Dennison yep Mecko's man in Annapolis and Calvert County Commissioner Steve Weems. yep uh, one of the smartest most astute uh, uh local lawmakers from either party were on hand I had dinner with them right beforehand over at blue craft house and we came over to the event together. And, um, you want to talk about two smart, savvy postpartisan problem solvers, you get those two into a room and we can solve the world's problems over a couple of pints of, uh, of, um, key lager or union duck and have plenty of time to spare for social talk. Absolutely. So Len, let's great.
0: Let's, let's, time. Move, let's move into Friday and Friday was a, a bit watered down, no pun intended. But look, the, the big event every Friday at Mako is the annual crab feast. And I was there. I covered the event. I, I talked to several people. I talked to some state delegates. Um, I, I saw Bruce Barriano there. I saw um, Angela Also Brooks and Mark Elridge and my one of my councilmen, and, um, Oh, one of the uh, and I asked a lot of people what what the biggest takeaway of Mako, and of course some of the some of the people said um, you know they're they're just trying to figure out the scene they're they're um, they're looking around and you know when when the governor spoke on Saturday which is the annual tradition to wrap up the conference the governor speaks and sometimes Mako is that perfect place to unleash a new policy pronouncement or a new policy agenda or uh, to introduce some sort of um, new plan, and the governor, of course, did not fail. And really, I think this this Mako, I think the takeaway from this Mako, as we wrap up the show, Lynn, is that county officials are especially worried about the Kerwin recommendations and how that's how the Kerwin recommendations, you know, the nearly four billion dollars is going to harm or is going to impact rather their county budgets. And I've heard from dozens of county officials with whom I've spoke with over the last couple of days who said, look, Ryan, this is all great. We all support education funding, but how are we going to sell it to our constituents? How are we going to sell it to the county and, and our people? How are we going to be able to encourage them that we have to raise our property taxes or that we have to make some deep cuts? Lynn, County officials are deeply, deeply concerned about what's going to happen, about what's going to happen with permanent recommendations.
1: Well, Ryan, let me, let me just piggyback on that. I know we're running out of time, but in addition to the, to the concern that county officials feel about their budget, I think there's justifiable concern about the notion of digging deeper into the pocket of the Maryland consumer. And we're talking about a $3.8 billion initiative. So yeah. we're talking about a deep dig into the Maryland consumer's pocket uh, at a time when all the directional errors are pointing to a recession. Listen, um, we've seen what happens. I mean, the longer and sweeter the ride, the harder the fall. And right now, Ryan, we are in the longest single period of, 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 econo- of unbroken economic growth of any time in the post-war era. Um, it has been it has been now more than 120 consecutive months of unbroken economic expansion, and that even that even surpasses the uh, the the streak that was established during the tech boom of the 1990s and the housing boom of the 2000s. So we are overdue, as they say, and everything from government policies like the uh, the, the, the looming trade war with China to the increasing trepidation of the American consumer, which is reflected in everything from sales and use tax data at the state level to housing starts data at the national level, everything seems to suggest that we all be hunkering down and being very cautious with how we move forward. And any, any economist who's ever passed the one-on-one course will tell you do not dig deeper into the pockets of the consumer when we're going into an economic downturn. That's not to say we don't love education and value education and know that we need to invest in education. It's the timing is important and the details are really important here. And we've got to be careful.
0: Agreed. And I think most people are very concerned about the costs and the price tag. And I think we have to have an honest conversation with ourselves about this about what Kerwin means in the policy and is always throwing more and more education or rather I'm sorry is more and more money money at education is that is that always the go to solution? Is that always the means to an end? Is that the way we improve our education system? And I think that we as as observers, you're you're part of the you know look you're in the mix of it. Our legislators, they have to be honest with themselves. Is another three point eight billion? Is that really worth it? Is that going to be what exactly? What will that money be used for? And look, in fairness, the, yesterday the governor did announce. Look, he's not going to be able. He's not going to raise taxes as long as he's governor to pay for this. Um, but he did say that he was going to open up two billion dollars more of spending. So, Lynn, I think we're in, in a, a tough situation, and I think that come 2020, that the Kerwin funding recommendations may be one of the defining issues of the Annapolis session. And I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to be following that closely as you are. I mean, this affects everyone. I don't think people are opposed to paying, uh, uh, shelling out money for education, but we have to have a breakdown
1: of what that means and look, uh, you try well, to sell and, and we also have to associate us and we also have to tie it to certain outcomes and, and
0: Peter absolutely
1: has said this, on countless occasions, too often in this town we define our commitment to an issue by the amount of money that we as a state are willing to throw at it rather right. than on the outcomes that result. How many times have you heard a politician step up to a microphone and say, Why, I support education we just spent X billions of dollars on Y initiative. Well, you know what? That's not a commitment to education. That's just a commitment to government spending. Commitment is reflected in your commitment to the outcome.
0: Yeah. And it, that's what it,
1: we and that has been noticeably absent in, in in every meaningful discussion I've heard about education in recent years. It's all about the spending. We're not hearing about the outcomes.
0: If we can't measure it, then how are we going to be able to prove that it works? We have to be able to measure this. So, I I think that the the Kerwin funding, that discussion was above all else the most prominent of the Mako takeaways, and and that's that for me is was huge. It was huge for many people who attended and they're going to leave and have to go back and have these hard conversations with their constituents. I mean, look, Anne Arundel County has had to raise taxes. Baltimore County is going to have, yeah, they're raising taxes. It's tough. It's a tough sell for people. It really is tough. So, um, Lynn, it was my first time at NACO, the first opportunity to, to go down and, and contribute something to, anyone who attended to the experience and also provide coverage for people who didn't get to attend and see what really happened, uh, behind the scenes. I had a blast. I think that I, uh, I came home yesterday afternoon and got to see my wife and she was very happy that I was home. And, you know, I thought a lot about it, about how important it is to continue this tradition of Mako to, uh, for people to, to be able to, to gather together as fellow Marylanders and, Talk about these big policy issues, these issues that affect local government, and local government is closest to the people. You know, I could pick up the phone just like you can, and get my local county councilman on the phone virtually, virtually at any time to say, hey, you know, my councilman in Montgomery County is a guy by the name of Sidney Katz. I could say, Sidney, look. A couple of blocks down the road, it looks like the lights the stoplights aren't time. Could you check it out sure ryan we'll send we'll tr- we'll send our traffic engineer on monday and and take a look and you know we'll, we'll we'll get it all straightened out and we'll we'll have an answer for you these are these events like make own Mml it's all about how to make local government better for people who actually pay the bills, and that's the taxpayers and for me i I loved being in Ocean City. I've been gone there since I was about five years old. I got a chance to go up on the boardwalk and see Comptroller Peter Francho eat some Thrasher fries and then hand them out to unsuspecting boardwalkers. I got to see the governor and Peter Francho take a silly picture together over on the, the beach, uh, and the governor says out loud, I can't wait to see what Ryan Miner writes about this. And uh,
1: I got to see well, – At the end of the day. Right? It's, after all the after all the the alcohol and the fights and the politics, Ocean City is at the end of the day. It's about it's about French fries, taffy, pizza, Mazano's um, pizza, skee ball on the boardwalk. Right. It's what it's all about.
0: And you could see yeah, Larry Hogan and Peter Francho light up when they get to talk with local businesses, ask them honest questions about how state government can help them or you know get out of their way even. And Ocean City Mayor, he was there. Um, Congressman Andy Harris showed up with his wife mechanically attached to his side. And uh, so the whole event was – the whole Friday really for me was memorable when when we got to go out on the boardwalk. And the governor always seems to light up when he's able to just to talk to people and have conversations, and so does the comptroller. So I – Len, for my first Mako, I, I have to give it an A. I really enjoyed myself. The little scuttlebutt that we had at the Cap Strategies Party, by the way, just a a, a blowout, a banger, Um, one of the best that I've ever been to. Uh, It's gone and forgotten. By tomorrow, Melanie Miller may have already forgiven me, and we'll eventually get together and and have a discussion and, and move on and shake hands. But it was a pleasure to see you down there, my friend, Lynn. This was fun. We always love recapping these big Maryland political events, and there's going to be plenty more this year.
1: Can't wait to get back at it. falls right around the corner, and with it comes speculation about changes in the legislature and uh, bills that might be coming down the pike, Kerwin funding, and, of course, uh, the the presidential campaign that follows. So we're going to have a lot to talk about, and I hope to be invited back on the show at your convenience.
0: You have a standing invitation, Lynn, to appear at any time. And before we both sign off for the evening, I would be remiss if I did not mention that I – earlier this evening I heard some buzz that, w- that's, that piqued my interest, and the buzz goes a little like this, that I'm hearing the delegate, Eric Bromwell of Baltimore County, and delegate Steve Lafferty, also of Baltimore County. They may resign from the Maryland House of Delegates and take jobs in Johnny O's administration. Now, I've reached out to both of them. I've texted, called, and sent an email um, to see if I can get them on the record, but I'm hearing that buzz.
1: That's interesting. Um Eric is uh, Eric is one of the few remaining moderate Democrats uh in the General Assembly, he's one of the last of the Mohicans over there in that district eight, which is Perry Hall, White Marsh and in those um communities, uh in those that are filled with Reagan Democrats and Steve Blackerty obviously from Towson, a, a more progressive Democrat. Uh, They've both been around for a while. They both have made you know, different types of lawmakers, but both very effective in their own right. That would be very interesting. Um, I've heard some of the same scuttlebutt. I guess I'll learn more this week.
0: We shall see. Len Foxwell, It's uh, it's been an unmitigated pleasure to have you on the show, to always give your opinion, and for shooting straight with us. And um, for the record, um, and if anybody wants to know that we did leave <laughs> – I think people who came to ocean city, I think we left a little bit better than we found it. And, uh, when, you know, you got political people down there, everybody's always a little bit cautious, even though we have something to drink, but it was a great, it was a great time. It was an opportunity well-spent and, uh, I'll be back next year. Len with that. I, I appreciate your time and we'll catch up soon, my friend.
1: You got it, pal. Best to Kim.
0: Thank you. You have a good night and best to your spouse as well. Yep. Alrighty, everybody. So, so that was Mako 2019, the parties, the policy, the alcohol, the the fun, the fundraisers. So that's it. Uh, we, Lynn and I, pretty much covered it all. And you can read more at a minor detail dot com. Go ahead and read what happened on Mako night one and night two. I have a lot more coverage to provide. I just had to rest this week. I had to. I, I had to rest today. I was so tired. I'm not – I haven't been sleeping. I even use a, uh, a CPAP machine to sleep. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap up. Please follow me on a aminordetail.com. Subscribe to my newsletter. Also, you can follow me on a aminordetailpodcast.com. We will upload this show after it's complete. And uh, we're going to be introducing and rolling out a new series of podcasts all about candidates – of 2020, all of those Maryland candidates are, aren't going to escape me because I'm going to sit down and have some long-form interviews with them. And it's going to be a lot of fun because you're going to learn who's running in Maryland politics. You're going to understand what their platform is all about. With that, folks, thank you for listening. My name is Ryan Miner, dot minordetailpodcast.com. Have a great and happy and successful week. You can subscribe to a Minor Detail podcast on iTunes, CastBox, Overcast, or any application where you listen to podcasts. Like a Minor Detail podcast on Facebook and follow the conversation on Twitter at AMD Podcast. If you or someone you know is interested in sponsoring a Minor Detail podcast, please reach out to me at ryan at com. Thanks so much for listening.